0: Amen. And our prayer shall be as that of Christ at the end of the New Testament um, gospel reading that may we all grow in stature and wisdom this day. You may be seated. This morning I come to you from the gospel of Matthew chapter 5 verse 13. In that text, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So this morning, I invite you all to pray, meditate, and think with me on the topic, get your saltiness back. This text is part of Matthew's account of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This account is an allusion to Moses' receiving the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. The Sermon on the Mount is the longest recorded sermon preached by Christ, and it lays out the traits that Jesus was looking for in his followers. In chapters 5 through 7 in the book of Matthew, Matthew provides the account of Jesus's sermon, which provides a contrast between the values of the kingdom of God on one hand and the values of the world on the other. He contrasts the superficial faith of the Pharisees with the real faith that God wants us to have in relationship with God. The goal and the strivings of our real faith are not money and power, but should be meekness, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, mercy, peace, ultimately a closer and more intimate walk with God, very different from the norms and the ambitions of the world. From a hillside near Capernaum, Jesus challenges his followers to hold on to the truths and the ethics of their faith. And through these words, he challenges us today. In this verse, Jesus compels his followers, us, to be effective, to stand out, and to make a difference in the earth, the environments, the communities, the churches, the organizations, and the spaces that we inhabit. He tells us that we are the salt of the earth. Salt, as we know, is a substance that provides flavor whether it's Himalayan pink salt, gray salt, whatever you pick up at your local grocery store. It's a seasoning to whatever it is used or paired with. Salt is a purifier, a great preservative, and a healing substance. You can have a bland meal, add a pinch of salt, and completely change the flavor profile. It Amplifies the sweetness, it calls out the herbal flavors, the garlickiness, it highlights the layers of flavors in a dish. Anyone else hungry? <laughs> so should we be in our interactions and circumstances and communities. In today's text, When Jesus calls us the salt of the earth, he's calling us individually and collectively to be the flavor, to be the difference, to be the effective agent that amplifies and brings to flavor whatever it touches. The purifier that brings truth, the preservative that preserves God's covenant with humankind, and the healer that brings joy, peace, and wholeness to our environments and communities. But when we look around at the issues that are challenging the very fabric of our communities, the very soul of our democracy, the very lives of those whom are our neighbors, we must ask, are we salty? Are we impacting environments and invading them with peace and joy and love? with meekness and humility, with courage and bravery? Are we providing a Christian witness that is unifying, just, loving, and strong? Are we countering the bad theology that has taken over the narratives and the airwaves, that excludes and divides, that hates rather than loves, that worships and rationalizes comfort rather than the discomfort that Jesus came to stir up. We must not allow our faith to be hijacked for selfish political or economic gain. Are we holding up a bloodstained banner against the tides of injustice and policies and practices that have the effect of dehumanizing others? the very others who are created in the image of God? When we look around at the many issues we're facing as a country and as a city, we must ask as followers of one of the greatest justice fighters, change agents of all time, are we salty enough? Are we effective in making an impact in the very society and communities and worlds and, with, and world in which we live? Are we effective as God's hands and feet and voice in the world? Or are we just blending in? Have you lost your fervor, your passion for Christ, your flavor? Are we on the brink of losing our very souls to gain the whole world? We as the church have had a great history of impacting policies and lifting social justice and speaking on behalf of the voiceless, clothing the naked, feeding the hungry. But are we still effective today? What are we doing today to prove our saltiness? The religious landscape of our nation continues to change at a rapid pace and the decline in those who identify as Christian, continues to grow. The Pew Research Center telephone surveys that were conducted in 2018 and 2019 have shown that both Protestantism and Catholicism are experiencing losses of population share. Meanwhile, all subsets of the religiously unaffiliated population, a group also known as religious nuns with an O, have seen their numbers grow and grow and grow. Many studies have been and are being done to explain this drop in those who identify as Christian or religiously affiliated. And one such study done by the Brookings Institute entitled Faith in Equality states that this unaffiliation has several factors, such as the marriage of religion and partisan politics and the ungodly focus of many of our religions and religious leaders it also points out the current religious landscape is impacted greatly by the generational divide with more people above 53 in the more conservative religious traditions and those below 47 in the more progressive religious traditions We're allowing our faith and our calling and our saltiness to be watered down by politics and overwhelming social pressures by our inaction and our apathy. We don't often talk about apathy in the church, but apathy can look like you going to church every Sunday and Bible study on Wednesday and choir practice on Thursday. But what underlies it is a loss for zest and life, a loss of passion a loss of courage, a loss of bravery, which leads us to innovation and pushing against the, it's always been this way, it will always be this way. We, as the salt of the earth, are commanded in this text to make a difference in the atmosphere, the conversation and the environments in which we inhabit One such crisis that we must confront as followers of Christ is that of the housing affordability crisis. For those who were not able to attend the forum before this service, that is a crisis that we have an imperative as Christians, as followers of Christ, as lovers of our neighbors to engage in with mind and with heart. Affordable and decent housing options allow a family to build stability, create safe environments for their children to grow and to thrive. Dr. Megan Sandel said one of the most powerful vaccines is decent, affordable housing. Decent and stable housing is directly connected to better health and education outcomes, to more engagement in the civic space and to the stability and economic foundation of many of our communities around this city and this nation. According to a recent study, nearly two-thirds of renters nationwide say that they can not afford to buy a home and that saving for that down payment isn't going to get any easier anytime soon. Home prices are rising at twice the rate of wage growth. According to research from The advocacy group HOME One. 11 million Americans, that's roughly the population of New York and Chicago combined, spend more than half their paycheck on rent. Some studies take that number up to 18 and 19 million Americans spending 50% or more on their housing costs. Harvard researchers found that in 2016, nearly half of renters were cost burdened compared with 20% in 1960. There's growing evidence and studies and data showing that many of our communities around this country in 2020 are more entrenched and segregated than they were in the 1950s and 60s. The 2019 national housing wage, as determined by a study done by the National Low Income Housing Coalition's Out of Reach report, is approximately $23 an hour for a modest two-bedroom rental home. A worker earning the federal minimum wage of $7.25 per hour must then work 127 hours per week. This is unacceptable. Contributors to this crisis include lingering effects of our nation's long history of redlining, segregation, and racist housing policies that were implemented by the state and the country. This has created incredible gaps in the access that people of color have to affordable housing options and home ownership, and it has stifled household wealth creation in communities throughout our nation. Another contributor is NIMBYism, Not In My Backyard. Sentiments among residents and landowners— that has increased property values added to the cost of housing, made it harder for workers who are seeking to move in town to be closer to jobs with high concentrations of lack of housing options. It's contributed to as well by restrictive zoning codes. that makes construction more expensive and more difficult. Finally, a study published last year by the University of Chicago's Booth School of Business found that the U.S. economy is 14% smaller as a result of constraints on housing development. We must regain our saltiness. We must become the salt of the earth in this historical moment and declare that as followers of the one who was anointed to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, that it is unacceptable that citizens, children of God, are being precluded from having decent, affordable housing options in the wealthiest country in the world. We must find a way to get our saltiness back and to truly be God's salt in the earth how do we do it? How do we become salty? How is our saltiness restored? Even Christ asked that question. I was initially puzzled by Christ's question because I'm thinking, God, didn't you send Jesus to reconcile the world to you? Didn't you send Jesus to restore us? Why then would Jesus ask if God's salt upon the earth could be restored. I thought he came to restore, to reconcile, to get us right. But the more that I meditated and thought on the story, the more I thought about the context of his question, the more I realized that sometimes we have to answer that question ourselves. Can your saltiness be restored? It is a question that has an inherent answer that Jesus is pushing out to all of us. We each have agency to restore our saltiness. Jesus has done his part. Now it is time for us to do our part. As Paul says, we are cojourners with Christ in this journey of faith. We must make a decision. As Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. We must choose if as followers of Christ, we will have integrity, integrity, We will be true to our call, and we shall work to restore our saltiness. Two things that I propose to you this day on how to do it. How do you get your saltiness back? First is you must embody the word of God. I know that sounds theoretical, but just as God gave Jesus to the world so that the word might become flesh, that is our witness and example of what we must do. We can't just quote scripture and read scripture and sing scripture. We must become the scripture. We must become love in the earth. We must find a way to love the lovable and the unlovable. We must embody the word of God, not just do what it says, but do what it does. It's a revolutionary thought to think that you've got to do more than say rote prayers and sing songs that you've memorized as a child, isn't it? We've got to find a way to read the word and meditate on the word and engage the word again for the first time. Not only must we embody the word of God, but then we also must repent. I know I'm in church. And I know in church, we don't like to talk about repentance or sin, but we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And this morning, I ask that you face the truth of that fact. As, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, if my sinfulness appears to me in a way smaller or less detestable in comparison with the sins of others, then I am still not recognizing my sinfulness at all. The power of repentance, which means ultimately turning back to God, is that you become cleansed from the inside out. You detoxify those things which you've said or done, those things which you've neglected or omitted. And the wonderful thing about God's grace is that God gives you another chance when we repent and turn from our sin and turn back to god we not only cleanse ourselves but we take ourselves out of the picture and begin to heal our land the writer of second Chronicles says if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then i will hear from heaven I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. I don't know about you, but I believe that our land is in need of some healing. When you turn back to God, when you repent, you open yourself up to an incredible and an intimate relationship with God that brings forth power, kindness, empathy, thought, and refreshing that leads to healing and restoration. When we embody the word of God, when we repent and turn back to God, we then become part of God's great mission in the earth. We and our saltiness join together with God to truly be the salt of the earth that changes and transforms and recreates and heals. We join in with God's sending forth. Just as God sent forth Abraham and God sent forth Isaac and God sent forth Moses and ultimately God sent forth Jesus. So God wants to send you forth into the world to be God's salt, to be God's hands, to be God's feet, to be God's voice. So that when we enter into spaces, our saltiness changes the conversation shifts the narrative, transforms our church, our city, our nation, and our world. When we become salty, we can pray with integrity and power. Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.